If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 607. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours. Surely... Support the show by going to McClanahanAcademy.com. Always free to enroll. Purchase a class or 20 there. You keep the podcast free of charge. You can also click on that super thanks button if you're watching this on YouTube. You can donate that way. Click on the support tab at BrianMcClanahan.com. You can donate that way. You can go to Anchor.fm. You can donate that way. Click on the shop tab at BrianMcClanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. That does support the show. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Share it around on social media. Tell people about the show. That's how we get more listeners and we grow the audience. And send me those show requests. I do appreciate what you want to hear. And I do try to give you that. Let's talk about the topic of the day. And it's a listener-generated episode. There was some discussion about this. And of course, I do things about secession and decentralization all the time. And so I want to talk about two recent polls that have come out. One is on the Convention of the States, and the other is a poll out on secession. So let's start with the Convention of the States first. And people have asked me about this. Where do I stand on the Convention of the States? Do I think it's a good idea or a bad idea? Should we call another constitutional convention? Now, this idea goes back a very long period of time in the 20th century. In fact, there was some discussion about a new convention even back in the 1960s. And Phyllis Schlafly... Uh, with her uh, Eagle Forum, was always against it. And she was a very strong voice. Of course, Schlafly, uh, back in the 60s and 70s, and she got a lot of attention, particularly in the 70s with the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, opposing that, and her very famous debates with Betty Friedan. In fact, I talk about Betty Friedan uh, on uh, uh, 26 People Who Changed America, or 25 People Who Changed America, excuse me, at McClanahan Academy. 25 People Who Changed America. She's in that list. Not because I think she did a good job changing America, but she was a very important figure. And this this very public opposition from Phyllis Schlafly and, and the debates with Betty Friedan really made her a household figure. She's a miserable person, Friedan was. Awful. Now, Miss Schlafly was a very nice lady, a wonderful lady. I spoke, I was on her program twice. I spoke with her on the phone once. Uh, outside of that, she's just a super nice lady. And uh, I went to her. Uh, I went to a conference that she puts on every year. I spoke at one of her conferences. So, just a really, really super person. And uh, but she was opposed to a second convention. She didn't really like the idea, and that's because of the fear of what's called the runaway convention. Now, essentially, what this boils down to is this: Article Five of the Constitution allows the states to call a convention. And so if the states want to do it, they can. And this actually shows you the states have all the power in this government anyways. Yes, the Congress can propose amendments, and the amendments then can be sent to the states for ratification. Once, once Congress proposes something, and it has to be a supermajority, then the states and an extra supermajority have to ratify it. So 
the states have all the power, but the states can bypass the entire Congress and propose their own convention. In fact, what they could do is abolish the Congress. The states, if they wanted to, could say the Constitution's abolished. We're no longer part of this union. It's gone. We, we don't have it anymore. This is, the, this is the thing that people don't recognize with uh, the structure of the federal government. The states have all the power. They can get rid of the federal government. They could abolish the presidency. They could abolish the Supreme Court. They could abolish the Congress. They could, they could do whatever they want. They could draft a whole new constitution. That's the fear of people like Phyllis Schlafly who said, look, if we have another convention, we're going to get a runaway convention. And that convention will produce something that's completely idiotic and it won't be productive. Now, you can put, you can put constraints on the convention. You can, and, and, of course, the states would then have to ratify whatever the convention came up with. It's not like the, the convention would come up with something and then the states, um, they can call a new convention, the states would have to ratify whatever is sent to them, right? So, But this would be a healthy process, I think, for people to actually talk about these things. But the real issue here, and I'm going back to yesterday with American education, American education is doing exactly what it was designed to do, and that is stoking all kinds of uh, fear about this type of thing, right? A convention. Uh, we have the most perfect constitution ever written. If you talk about anything that might be a, an opposition to that, well, then you're a heretic. Somebody commented on my channel the other day about my my uh, talk, my podcast on the Confederate States Constitution and how I said some nice things about it. And they were shocked. This is cringy that I would, this is the term they use, cringy, that I would actually say good things about the Confederate Constitution. It shows you how stupid that individual is, but in reality, it shows you that American education has worked exactly the way it's supposed to. Because you can't say anything outside of allowable opinion, right? If you say that, hey, maybe the Confederate Constitution had some improvements over the U.S. Constitution, some things maybe we should think about, maybe a one-term for the presidency, six years, one term, that might be a good idea. Maybe eliminating these federally funded internal improvements, maybe making sure everything was an earmark so that you can see how every single thing is spent from the Congress. I mean, earmarks are essential. We should earmark everything. We're spending a billion dollars on studying the reproductive habits of cockroaches, right? I mean, so maybe we should know about that. Um, we're not really doing that, I don't think. I don't know because we can't see in the budget. So the Confederate Constitution had some real advantages over the U.S. model. But you can't say that because it's the Confederacy. <gasps> and just saying that, it's like you're talking about the American Nazis, which they weren't. So this is, this is where we are in American education. But the Convention of the States is, a interest, is an interesting idea, and I actually support it. Um, just because, again, the states would have final say anyways, whatever they propose. The states would have to adopt they would have to ratify any amendments that are proposed or any changes to the U.S. Constitution in any way. If they scrapped the document and went with something else, these states would have to ratify it. And wouldn't it be great if they did scrap the U.S. Constitution and some states said, and let's say it took, uh, you know, going back to the, the original federal model, 9 of 13, so you just move that out a little bit. Maybe it takes, you know, 38 states to put it in effect. But it's only between the states ratifying the same. So what would happen if these 38 states agreed to it, but you had 12 states that didn't, and those 12 states were then independent? You just forced secession. Let's say 38 states could get together, and they're pretty conservative. 
And those 38 states decide on a structure that would be really good. And 12 states like California and Washington and Oregon and Massachusetts and Hawaii and these states say, nah, we don't want that. They're out. They have their own country anyways now. We've just created a better United States of America from one perspective. And then those other states could have their own alliances, do whatever they want. California and Hawaii could get in a union if they want to. Hawaii, I'm, certain, I'm sure, would just love to be independent. Alaska could go its own way. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, so the Convention of the States could work in a variety of different ways other than just we're going to propose some amendments. Now, I'm going to talk about a poll that was just recently put out, and I saw this. Uh, the poll said uh, this is a national issue survey uh, from the uh, uh, Trafalgar Group. The question was, would you support a, conven a convention of states to meet and propose constitutional amendments focusing on term limits for Congress and federal officials, federal spending restraints, and limiting the federal government to its constitutional mandated authority. So this was a poll. And the results were 65, almost 67% of people polled agreed with it. Only 17% were opposed or not sure. And both sides, about 17%. So 66% of people said, yeah, I would support a convention to propose amendments. You see, we've lost this whole issue of amendments. And I said this in uh, a lecture I gave uh, back in 2012 when I talked about my Founding Father's Guide to the Constitution. It was on C-SPAN. And there was a question. You know, you're saying all these things with this original interpretation. My response to that is, well, if you don't like it, then amend it. You see, I'd much rather be in a situation. We have this national government, this national top-down situation. I'd much rather live in a situation where if that was codified into the document, and it hasn't been, uh, I would be more comfortable with that. If this is what it all came down to, we have to deal with the center. If, if, if that was the actual structure of the Constitution, then I would be fine with it. And we would just all worry about voting for the center and voting for the president, and voting for the Congress. But that's not the way it works. We have a federation of states. And because of American education, again, but we, we've come to believe that everything is, a, is an issue for the central government to handle rather than your states, rather than your state legislature. Someone commented on YouTube that they, they know American education is working because you don't see any state flags in your neighborhoods. This is true. I used to fly. This is, this is a funny story. Uh, in my house, I would fly the Republic of Alabama flag. It's the only flag I would fly. And my neighbor across the street uh, eventually came over and said, hey, I really like that flag. I, I didn't know that, uh, you know, that's awesome. And so I gave him one of those. And so he flew it too. So we, uh, we now I've moved from there. But we had, uh, both of us were flying that Republic of Alabama flag. It was fantastic uh, there on our street in our neighborhood. But it's the original Republic of Alabama flag. I also flew the, the current state flag of Alabama. But um, this is what people should be doing, right? You fly your state flag. There was a, a barbecue place in Columbia, South Carolina, Maurice's Barbecue. Maurice uh, Bessinger was uh, someone who really supported the Confederate flag and Confederate history. He's from South Carolina, and he actually ran for governor one time. But um, at his barbecue restaurants, he would fly the U.S. flag uh, below the state flag. And, um, of course, he had his sauces and other things in Walmart when he came out that he was very much in, in favor of the Confederate flag flying over the state house. They, they took all his product out of, out of Walmart. He's since died. Uh, but um, Maurice's barbecue always flew the state flag above the U.S. flag. And he would say that's the constitutionally correct thing to do. And 
It is, right? I mean, the, this, you should be flying your state flag at your house. That's where you live rather than the U.S. flag. So this idea of a convention of the states and proposing amendments and thinking about uh, ways to change the government legally, not just sending people up there and they just do whatever they want, but actually having a real discussion about the Constitution, what it means, what it should do, what the powers of the general government should be and what they shouldn't be. This is what people in a real functioning federal republic would be doing on a regular basis. But we don't. We just send people to Washington, D.C., and they do whatever they want, and then we complain about it one way or the other. We don't really talk about the structure or the actual constitution anymore. Essentially, what we've done is we've adopted the British model of an unwritten constitution with this anchor of a written constitution that people refer back to when it's convenient. Now, for people like me, I talk about the U.S. Constitution all the time. I talk about state constitutionalism, these kind of things. This written constitution, this written tradition matters in America. That's the whole basis of my American Constitutions class. But that written constitution matters. It's just that the politicians don't care about it. And again, I'll go back to Calhoun. Calhoun predicted this. He wrote about it in, his, in both his disquisition and discourse. But the Constitution only functions for the people out of power. Those in power really don't care about it. And this, of course, is an argument against you know, changing the Constitution anyways. If the people don't uh, follow it now, why would they follow it then? Now, I, I, I go back to Kevin Goodsman's response to that. He says, well, look, they do follow it. I mean, there's a lot of things in the Constitution they do follow. They just don't follow the powers of the general government when it comes to what kind of legislation they can pass. But they follow the general structure of it. They follow these kind of things. They just don't follow the powers of the general government. And so um, how do you do that? You have to have teeth. You have to have teeth in the, in the ability of something to check the power of the central authority. This is what... Jefferson and Madison were trying to figure out with the Virginia-Kentucky resolutions. It's what Calhoun was trying to figure out with nullification. It's what the South was trying to figure out with secession. And by the way, the North, too, before that. They were secessionists in the North and talked about it openly for a number of years, decades, in fact. Northern secession was very popular, New England secession. So this is what people have always fallen back to, right? When, when the center doesn't seem to be working well, there's a problem. We can all see it. It doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right. It doesn't matter. If you're on the left or the right right now, and polls are showing this, people are unhappy with the center. And that's because it's doing things it was never structurally set up to do. It wasn't supposed to legislate on all the minutiae of every little aspect of people's lives in the United States. It doesn't have the constitutional authority to do it and frankly it doesn't have the ability to do it because it cannot do it in a real representative way we we can't i mean this is this is tench cox and an american citizen when he goes out and says look um the the fact is uh the, the central authority can do these things which are very general and then the states have to do all these things so when you look at uh the dobbs decision for example which there was a piece in the Washington Post today about how the founders really wouldn't have supported the Dobbs decision because of a situation in Virginia, a very famous situation in Virginia, a scandal involving a fetus. Um, well, they missed the point. It's kind of gaslighting. The real issue with Dobbs is it was never the job of the federal government to legislate on that particular issue or to have a Supreme Court decision on that issue because there's nothing in the Constitution about it. 
In fact, even the decision there, even what they're talking about in this Washington Post case, in this piece, it's in Virginia, right? So, but the founding fathers would have supported, but it's in Virginia, right? This is an issue for Virginia, not for the general government and not a ban or uh, open season across the United States. It was dealing with a very specific place, Virginia. So this is exactly the way it is today now after the Dobbs decision. California can be California and Virginia can be Virginia and South Carolina can be South Carolina. And North Dakota can be North Dakota. And that's the way the Constitution was designed. This is what something like a convention of the states could bring back. Maybe a revitalization of federalism. Maybe we have a federalism amendment where there is some type of referee out there. The states, you could actually codify nullification. You could put that as part of the Constitution. If the federal government does things that are unconstitutional and you have a majority of the states decide, however you want to do it, well, then that law is null and void. Or you could set it up the Calhoun model where if one state objects, it's null and void. That would actually be the real concurrent majority because you would have to have unanimous consent, you would be going back to a very, uh, you know, a situation where you have unanimous consent to get things done if the general government is doing something that's constitutional. Now, it'd have to be a constitutional question. If it's doing everything as constitutional, I mean, if it's saying, all right, if the, if the Constitution allows the general government to spend on the military, for example, one state just can't object and say, we don't want to spend on the military. Well, that's not a constitutional thing, right? So there has to be some type of a break there that would not allow states just to throw wrenches in the system all the time. But regardless, you could have this in the Constitution. You could put it out there. All this could be there with something like a convention of the states. But you see, the real thing here is that 67%, that means that there are people out there right now that are not necessarily being indoctrinated to the extent that Maybe American education wants them, and that's the real issue in American education now. The left is losing its grip on these things because of the internet, because of social media. And essentially what's happening is they're, they are worried that they don't control the narrative all the time anymore. They've lost control of the Supreme Court, and they don't like it. And of course, that's dangerous because the left is the most dangerous political entity in the history of the West. Right? They are dangerous. So I couple this with a piece that came out in Mediate, and of course the, the headline is hilarious. New poll, more Trump voters in red states say secession would make things better. Now, this is Tommy Christopher, it's published July 16th, has like almost 4,000 comments on it. Um, but this is all, the, the idea is to bash Trump voters. Now, there's a lot of leftists who also think secession isn't a bad idea. Places like California, Vermont, the second Vermont Republic was all leftists. It's not just Trump supporters, it's Americans. But you see, they have a picture of a guy holding a, uh, a rifle and he's got a seed banner on, it's Texas. And he's got you know, a, uh, a hat on. He's, uh, he's showing his support for Texas secession here. And um, the idea is to make this look like a bunch of you know, wingnut hayseeds out there trying to push for secession. But maybe it's, maybe it's something else. Maybe there's something else to this. Maybe Americans are looking around and saying, we got to do something, right? We have, uh, we have a, a, function, a government that doesn't function. Um, we have uh, these irreconcilable differences on so many issues, most of them being the culture war issues in America, but then other things too, uh, some things that have long been there, like taxes and spending. We've got that. We've got all these irreconcilable differences, and so why are we trying to force each other to get along? 
mean, maybe people on the left and the right are just saying, hey, you know what? Maybe we would be better not being in the same country with each other. Wouldn't that be peaceful? So the piece says, more Trump voters living in Republican-controlled states said secession would make things better in their states than those who said it would not, according to a new poll. Respondents to a Yahoo, new Yahoo News YouGov poll were asked, do you think your state would be better off or worse off if it left the United States and became an independent country? Among all respondents, more than twice as many said they'd be worse off than those who said things would be better off. Well, 15% said things would be about the same, and another 24% said they weren't sure. So the thing is, 43% said they would be worse off, um, 18% they'd be better off, and 15% said things would be about the same, and 24% weren't sure. Now, I'm going to say this about secession right now. I don't think Americans are ready for that in any way, shape, or form. We are a dependent people. Our education is not where it needs to be. People are not independent enough for this. When you think about 1860 and 61, there's a lot of independent people in those states they could just go home. They didn't have the amount of debt that people have now. They weren't they weren't as tied into the system. They didn't have as many government benefits. All these things. All that stuff would have to be worked out. And this would be a very difficult process. It doesn't I mean... Texas, for example, is a huge economy. It could certainly be independent. But you'd have to work out all these things. Florida, same thing. Any of these states could really do it. We've got European countries that are the size of states in the United States. There's, there's, there's nothing to say these states could not be independent. But it's simply a taboo subject. But as people start to talk about it and they start looking around and saying, the whole system is broken. What are we going to do about it? That's where you have a real conversation. Same thing with the Convention of the States. Same thing with the idea of nullification. Same thing with real federalism. Same thing with attacking the 14th Amendment. All this stuff is a real conversation that needs to be had. And what you're seeing in some ways is the unraveling of American education the indoctrination institutions. People are moving beyond that. They're looking at other methods of education. Though those institutions are still working well, as I said yesterday. They're doing exactly what they're designed to do, which is ensure that you have a bunch of people that comply and that they have the acceptable opinions because that's how you force people into doing what you want them to do. When they get to be dissident, that becomes a problem. When they actually think for themselves, that becomes a problem. But Yahoo News West Coast correspondent Andrew Romano broke down the responses to a more granular level and found people in red states who voted for former President Donald Trump were much more amenable to seceding. So this is a quote from uh, Andrew Romano. Quote, Red state Donald Trump voters are now more likely to say they'd be personally better off than worse off if their state seceded from the U.S. and became an independent country, according to a new Yahoo News YouGov poll. It's a striking rejection of national unity that dramatizes the growing culture war between Democratic and Republican-controlled states on core issues such as guns, abortion, and democracy itself. And an even larger share of red state Trump voters say that their state as a whole would be better off rather than worse off if it left the U.S. So this is all coming down to these weird Trump voters, right? Trump has fueled all this discontent, and these people are just crazy. They'd be, how can they think they'd be better off without us, without Andrew Romano? How can these Trump people think they'd be better off without Andrew Romano? That's a good question. Or Nancy Pelosi, or Kamala Harris, or Gavin Newsom, or Joe Biden. I mean, how could these people really think they would be better off without those people? They couldn't even function properly without those people, right? I mean, this is what they think. These people couldn't even breathe if they weren't around. How could, I mean, how could these people exist? They wouldn't be able to find food. 
They wouldn't be able to find a job. They wouldn't be able to pay their bills. They wouldn't, I mean, they would not be able to get out of their chairs. Uh, they might have their firearms and they might have uh, their cigarettes, but they wouldn't be able to get out of their chairs anymore because these lefties would not be there to help them along in life. How could they do it? This is the kind of, this, it's, it drips with this, these Trump voters. The survey of 1,672 U.S. adults, which was conducted from July 8th to July 11th, comes as a series of hardline conservative decisions by the Supreme Court, coupled with continued gridlock on Capitol Hill, have shifted America's center of political gravity back to the states, where the parties in power are increasingly filling the federal void with far-reaching reforms of their own. Now, that's actually a nice statement. It's what's happening. Isn't this what... I mean, the thing is, if we had real American education, the way that you know, if we actually talked about the American Federal Republic... This is what every woman thinks should happen anyways. But no, we've had over a hundred years of nationalist indoctrination that everything goes to the center. Abraham Lincoln's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Abraham Lincoln is an American demigod. And then you've got all the other progressive presidents, Woodrow Wilson and Franklin Roosevelt. All the, now, Wilson has taken a hit because of racism. Lincoln somehow skirts all that, even though he said a lot of racist things. Uh, but um, he somehow has a, you know, he's, he's Teflon, right? You, you know, that sticks. Uh, but, you know, Roosevelt still is, I mean, he still is the man. And then, of course, you have all of the leftists in the last you know, 50, 60 years. And all of these people think, I mean, the whole idea is that everything goes to the center. But Americans, if they had a real understanding of federalism, they would, they would think this was the way it was anyways. We've seen COVID. COVID did so many wonderful things for uh, the way that people think about America. It's a terrible, I mean, look, people died, it's a virus, awful that way. But in the way people think about government and what, what people woke up to the fact that states have a lot of power. They always have had a lot of power. The Convention of the States shows that. Real federalism. Ron DeSantis is the most powerful person in Florida, not Joe Biden. And DeSantis is showing it off. This is why I said DeSantis would be better. We need 50 DeSantises, not one DeSantis in Washington, D.C. DeSantis needs to stay in Florida and let Florida be Florida. Then the last, uh, <laughs> the last line from Tommy Christopher has just made me laugh. Given the attention surrounding the blockbuster January 6 hearings into the Trump-fueled attack on the Capitol, these numbers could have been worse. I mean, so it just shows you how dopey this guy uh, uh, is who wrote this, Tommy Christopher. But um, the fact is, people that, are, pe that people are talking about this and... You've got Andrew Romano pointing out, well, look, I mean, all these decisions did is just turn it back to the states and they're doing their own reforms. And this is just should be natural. This should be natural. We should only be talking about what's going on in your state. You should be paying attention to your state news and what's happening there and not really worrying about what's happening in some state five or six states away. Right? You should be worrying about what's happening in your state. So um, this is a good development. It, it shows that American education is, is, I mean, look, Christopher is a product of American education. He's, he's a byproduct of American education, which is the center means everything. And this could have been worse. More Trump voters could have supported secession. Oh, my God. Again, I'll, I'll go back to that piece. It was in Time magazine. And uh, it was on the Maryland State song. And the reason, the problem that that guy that wrote that piece, McWhorter, had with it, I think it was his name, was that it was dissident. It was dissident. They don't like that. They don't like that you thumb your nose at them because these are your overlords. These are your superiors. 
And when you tell them that they're no good anymore and that you don't need them and that um, you know what we need is real decentralization, they get very upset about that because that their whole life existence is telling you what to do. That's why they exist. They exist and they, feel, they feed off of that. They want to tell you what to do. And when they don't have that power anymore, everything changes for them. These people, look, anyone that goes to Washington, D.C., wants that kind of power. And it's a cesspool, and it's horrible, but this is what people want when they go there. They want that kind of power and attention. And when you take that away from them and you focus it back to where it really belongs in the states, and these states become more important, right? I mean, look, you can't, you can't deny that even governors have this kind of uh, addiction to, uh, to look at me. Um, they all have it. Anyone that gets involved in politics nowadays has it. But um, it'd be better to have, to, to have, you can control it more at the state level than you can at the federal level. There's just too, it's too easy for money and corruption to influence the center than it is all these other 50 states. In fact, it would be better if you even decentralized the states and made it much harder for money to corrupt things uh, at every other level. I mean, that would be uh, the ideal situation. It's, um, it would be, uh, you know, decentralizing even further would allow for even more uh, uh, controls on corruption. Um, so, anyways, I found both of these polls uh, encouraging. And again, I've said this before on this show. Another thing, 20 years ago, nobody's saying these things. 25 years ago, nobody's saying these things. In 25 years, in a quarter of a century, public opinion has changed because people are seeing what Washington, D.C. really is. The, the internet has allowed for some of these old things, these old documents, these old ideas that were, um, you know, taboo for a long time. People are talking about them now. And 25 years ago, you wouldn't have had that larger number of people talking about secession or convention of the states. But in 25 years, a lot has changed. And I think that's encouraging. It's a positive development. And I can only think 25 years from now, where we'll be with that. I think more people are going to be more open to it 25 years from now than they are now. So, hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you tomorrow for the next one. See you then.